Hello, beautiful people, and welcome to another episode of The Infertile Diagnosis. Welcome to the first episode of Closer Today with me, Monica Cox from MyMindfulMe.com. Closer Today are going to be little mini episodes within the infertile diagnosis in which we share a clip that you might not necessarily stumble upon in your Google search. Sometimes these will be pure inspiration, much needed support, or important knowledge about true fertility health, not just what's happening around your lady bits. For the first Closer Today, I wanted to share Cards of Freeze's TED Talk. There was two key issues that I just absolutely loved about this. One was sharing your story. For her, she started a blog because writing was just simply natural to her. It was pretty private. And then after a while, she discovered the power of sharing. I felt the same way at the end of my journey. I felt like I had stumbled upon a bit of infertility that just wasn't being talked about during the time. And still really to this day, is kind of a subnote, something people stumble upon like I did after years and years of trying. And that's finding what's really happening within your body to be causing all these issues. This leads on to the second point that Kara probably wasn't trying to make, but I interpreted it this way. Her infertility ended up exposing cancer. And I know this is a very rare case, and please do not go googling infertility and cancer. I wanted to share this clip because Kara had enough sense to know that something was wrong and to act upon it and go to the doctor. And I don't think she had to do a lot of demanding, but really insist this get thoroughly looked into. Again, I truly don't think Kara intended this TED talk to be about finding the root cause of your infertility. She was simply sharing her story and raising awareness about infertility and cancer. But for me, it truly highlights the importance of seeking what's really going on in your body. She delivers this talk with so much heart and a little bit of humor. I hope you enjoy it just as much as I did. The having kids part, though, never quite played out the way it does in movies where at the mere drop of a hat or a quick sneeze, you get pregnant. I mean, let's face it. As women, we spend our 20s praying we get our period, and then we spend our 30s hoping we don't. After a couple months went by of not getting pregnant, I went to the doctor to see what was going on. And when I got there, are you kidding me? It's called an infertility clinic. Infertility. Really, people? Like, we don't know that we're having problems trying to get pregnant. Couldn't we at least be aspirational and call it a fertility clinic? The doctor ran some tests and diagnosed me with polycystic ovary syndrome, or PCOS, which affects about 1 in 10 women of childbearing age. PCOS is a hormonal imbalance, and it makes your periods all wonky, and it makes it difficult to get pregnant. And bonus? It gives you unwanted hair in really sexy places like your breasts and your chin. Awesome. <laughs> so this was all new to me. So I did what most people do. I Googled it, which 
depending on the search results, can either be the best or the worst thing you can do. There was so much out there, but I also did what comes naturally. I wrote about it. I initially started my blog as a place to keep track of my doctor's visits, my health, my state of mind. It was private, really, nothing much more than a journal to keep track of everything. I didn't tell anybody about what was going on, though, because I felt embarrassed and betrayed that my body couldn't do the one thing I wanted it to, have a baby. It's funny, when, when you think about things like that, it's like, well, I'm, this is what I want to do, why can't I do it? And being goal-oriented, that kind of was confusing to me. But what I discovered was that as I slowly started telling friends about what I was going through, they opened up to me and said, oh, we've been having problems too, which blew me away, because up until the moment I told them about my problems, I had no idea, none, that they were having issues too. The worst feeling in the world is the feeling of isolation. Then I got mad that we as women are conditioned to not talk about these things, and that's crap. These are exactly the types of things we should be talking about with each other. It's like this secret society that nobody wants to talk about and nobody really wants to be a part of. So I made the very personal decision to make my very private blog public. Of course, I changed the names to protect the innocent from the litigious. <laughs> By sharing my story in this way, if somebody was out online going through what I went through, I wanted them to be able to find my story and not feel so alone. I also wanted to empower women to feel like they could talk about these things so they wouldn't feel that sense of isolation that I had. So, casadefrias.com was born. Our struggles continued, and I began to ponder whether I wanted to continue down the road of Western medicine that included dyes and pills, and more pills, and doctor's visits. For a long time, I'd taken a holistic approach to my health, including visiting a chiropractor and a massage therapist. So it didn't seem at all strange to me when, by sheer providence, acupuncture came up as an option. Here's how it played out. My friend Mary visited me in San Diego, and while she was here, or there, while she was there, she got a foot massage, which she loved so much, she gave me a gift certificate to the place. Yes, I have nice friends. I went there and I started talking to the director and I was sharing our struggles and he told me they do acupuncture. I said, hey, I'm actually open to Eastern medicine, let's give this a shot. I started treatment the next week and the whole goal of it was to get everything moving again and sure enough, I started bleeding on my own for the first time in years. Things were moving so much though that the following week, I passed a tissue mass. Now. I'm not gonna gross you out and show a picture, but know that I did take one, next to a pencil, of course, to show scale, and then I placed it in a pill jar filled with water to take to my doctor. What? My mom's a nurse. <laughs> I gotta admit, the thought of cancer crossed my mind. As a malignant melanoma survivor who, years before, had had a mole removed from my forearm, only to find out it was cancer, why wouldn't it? Again, that feeling of isolation. I sat in my doctor's office and she delivered a diagnosis of uterine cancer. Now I'd wanted to have kids my whole life 
And I was so mad at my body for not letting me do that. I had a full hysterectomy with bilateral salpingo-oophorectomy, which in plain English means they took everything out, including the kitchen sink, my uterus, my fallopian tubes, and my ovaries. As I sat in the doctor's office, I took comfort in two things. One, they were pretty sure it was stage one. And two, the stirrups that you put your feet in were covered in oven mitts that had this really crazy floral print on them, which, well, they did. They looked like the ones my grandmother used to use in her kitchen. <laughs> and that made me smile. And the doctors wanted to do a hysterectomy right away, but my motherly instinct kicked in, and I told them I wanted to save my eggs first. It's crazy when you're going through all this. There's so much terminology. There's this whole new world. I wanted to talk to somebody who was going through what I did, who could tell me what everything was going to be like. That led me, of course, to Google it again. I think I would have learned the first time. So there was a world of new terminology. IVF stands for in vitro fertilization, and it's a method for extracting the eggs from the ovaries, fertilizing them with sperm, and letting them grow a little bit. In most cases, they end up back where they started. In my case, they were meant to end up in somebody else's belly, a surrogate's, our own easy-bake oven, if you will. <laughs> it turns out most insurance companies don't cover IVF or even fertility preservation, including mine. So we had all those bills to contend with, which can run into the tens of thousands of dollars. I ended up at UC San Diego's Reproductive Center, and they were just so amazing. The doctors cut their fees. The drug companies donated much of the necessary medicines. We didn't have much time. We had to get the eggs before the hysterectomy. In industry lingo, I'm known as a fertility preservation patient. Now that's hot. <laughs> fertility preservation means when faced with the prospect of losing the ability to have your own kids, you do what you can to preserve that ability. For me, the desire was instinctive. Again, the whole always wanting to be embalmed thing. IVF consisted of two weeks of birth control pills, followed by two weeks of, hey, eggs happen pills, and a whole host of needles along the way. Yes, gentlemen in the back who just groaned, a whole host of them. My friend Liz helped give me my first injection at a residence inn in Austin, Texas, because as I explained to my doctors, I wasn't gonna let a pesky case of cancer stop me from going to my first South by Southwest. <laughs> I gotta admit, there were times along the way when the general suckiness of it all settled in for a little bit. In the weeks leading up to the egg harvesting, the doctors did a blood draw every day to check my levels. Every second or third day, they do a transvaginal ultrasound to check the follicle size. Imagine them to be like Goldilocks. We don't want them too big or too small. We want them just right. On the last day, when the doctor inserted the probe, my ovaries appeared on the ultrasound screen. 
And it hit me in that moment that I'd never be able to see my baby in there or on that screen because my uterus simply wouldn't be there. My lip began to quiver, and quivering lip begat teary eyes, which begat water pouring down my face. I was sad for what I was losing, sad for my ability to not carry my own child, sad for my body's rebellious nature against nature. Rainy with a chance of baby, if there was ever such a forecast. When all was said and done, we ended up with six embryos being stored on ISOR, as I like to call them, my kid sickles. <laughs> my friend Corrine likes to say, always start from hope. While for now I'm in a holding pattern, the hope is to one day find a surrogate to carry my children, not all six of them at once, mind you. I'm not a walking reality show. <laughs> and don't get me wrong, there have been a lot of positives that have come out of this experience and so much to be grateful for. I coordinated with my doctors and two universities so that my ovaries could go to research studies. I have all this free space in my bathroom cabinet now, a now empty shelf that used to be occupied by tampons and pads. The lack of worry around getting a period. And probably the best one of all, when it comes to menopause, I skipped the hot flashes. <laughs> Bonus. And to this day, I'm grateful to my acupuncturist, Christian, and my friend, Mary, for saving my life, because uterine cancer is hard to detect. A lot's happened in the past few years, and I've learned so much about myself and the life I want to live. I continue to say yes to all the opportunities that come my way, whether it's serving my country as a White House Presidential Innovation Fellow or attending the final space shuttle launch. Because being cancer-free again just proves that life's too short to not embrace it fully. There are a lot of women like me out there going through what I did. But we don't talk about it because it supposedly happens to older women or other women or somebody else. It's, again, this secret society that no one wants to be a part of and nobody talks about. Which is why I wrote about it and why I'm here talking to you today. You know, there's a lot of celebrities coming out and talking about it too, like Elizabeth Banks and Celine Dion. And that's great, because every time they share, it makes it more relatable and makes this world a little less small. And by talking about it, whether online or in person, we create this system of support, this feedback loop, if you will, for each other. I got an email from a guy who said he was so frustrated that nobody talks about the dads in these situations. But after reading my story on my blog, he was inspired to start a support group for dads who were going through miscarriages. Turns out, trying to have kids is hard for a lot of us. I'd like to think it would suck a little less if we could just give ourselves permission to talk to each other about it. Thank you. I can honestly say that's the first time I've ever heard kid sickles. It's usually frosties, 
So cute. I love it. And as Corrine would say, always start from hope. Cara's outlook on life and what has happened to her is truly inspirational. I hope this clip has got you a little bit closer to where you want to go and maybe has given you a little insight on how to get there. You can check out this whole TED Talk over on YouTube. It's called Rainy with a Chance of Baby. And if you want to know more about Cara, go check her out at caradefrazy.com. That's it for me today. I hope you guys have a wonderful rest of your week and we'll see you on Friday for the first episode of The Infertile Diagnosis with me and Sarah Clark. One more thing before you go. If you like what you're hearing, please leave us a rating and or a review. We would greatly appreciate it. Thanks so much, lady, and have a beautiful day.